since the beginning of the year in a series on the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is a time when Jesus has called his disciples up uh, to uh, literally a side of a mountain where he instructs them on what life in the kingdom is meant to be and what it's supposed to be like. Um, these disciples, he's saying, like, you have your lives defined by the kingdoms of this world, but I'm calling you as my disciples to have your life influenced and defined not by the kingdom of this world, but my coming kingdom, the kingdom of God, which is present in my presence, Jesus Christ's presence as king, with his presence being there, you see kingdom realities breaking out in all ways, evil flees, People are being healed. The truth is being taught. God's kingdom is present in the king being there. And he's saying, look, as my disciples as well, its presence is meant to be found in you. You are supposed to be shaped by certain values and ethics, and that is the kingdom ethics. We're going to look at Matthew 7, verses 1 through 6, where Jesus talks about judging other people. And he says this, Judge not that you be not judged, For with the judgment you pronounced, you will be judged. And with the measure you measure, you excuse me, and with the measure you use it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when there's the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We've been studying the Sermon on the Mount, for the, like I said, for the better part of this year, and Jesus is teaching us what life in the kingdom is like. And Jesus, in the Beatitudes, describes what his people are supposed to be like. And he says things like this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. It's a horrible thing to mourn the loss of someone you love. It's horrible. It's not the way it's meant to be. And yet, you're blessed when you mourn because you are comforted in ways that you might not be able to be otherwise. God meets you in those places of brokenness. Blessed are the meek, they inherit the earth. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart, they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, they'll be called sons of God. Blessed are the persecuted, theirs is the kingdom of God. So if we took a, a camera out today and like went to downtown Tempe or downtown Scottsdale Channel or wherever and just went around interviewing people and said, what do you think as a person today in our culture, what do you think about Christians? Use three ways to describe them. What Jesus says is they should say things like, those people who follow Jesus, they're merciful. 
They've been so forgiven of their sins, and I don't even believe in what they believe in. They believe that guy Jesus rose from the dead. I can't get my mind around resurrection, but while I don't hold to what they believe, those are the most merciful people I've ever met. They tell me their sins are forgiven, and so therefore they are merciful and forgiving to other people. They love their enemies. It's crazy. Everyone else hates their enemies, persecutes their enemies, but they love their enemies, and they even pray for those that persecute them. Can you imagine such people? I can't imagine it. They're, they're meek. They're loving. Those people are like peacemakers. That's the way I would describe them. Peacemakers, merciful, and meek. That's what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. These are the kind of values that if you were to go out and interview people, say like, this is the type of people that are in my kingdom. And yet, you know where I'm going with this. <clears throat> if we go today to that same places that I mentioned with a camera, with a uh, microphone and said, tell us three things about attributes of Christians in our culture today. What are those three things? You know what they would say. They are judgmental. They are self-righteous. And, and they are what? The unholy three, the unholy trinity that Christians are known by today. In every public setting in the last couple of years that I've ever said, what are some things that Christians are always known for? You may, you may list more than three, but every time those three at least are mentioned, every time in a public setting. And I'm talking to Christians, and we know it. Judgmental, self-righteous, hypocrites. <laughs> and I thank God for this passage. Because we see in this passage, this is the exact opposite values that the people of God are supposed to have, A, and B, we should be cut to the heart that this is what's happening in our society. And three, because I'm a pastor and everything comes in threes, I just want to say joyfully, we get, to, we get to circumvent this. We get to overcome this in the gospel, and this is what we're going to talk about today. The gospel is so good. Friends, you don't have to live this way. You can live because of Christ's righteousness in such a better way that people's ideas about followers of Jesus can be utterly and completely changed and upended. First point today is this. Being judgmental brings judgment to you. Jesus issues a very serious warning in Matthew 7, verses 1 through 2. Listen, listen carefully. Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. This is sobering, so listen to it. He says three things very clearly and very simply. One, if you don't want to be judged, then don't judge. A, B, C, whatever. <laughs> Second point, you will be judged by the pronouncements or statements you use towards other people. That's what he says. And third, the measure or the degree to which you judge others will be the measure or the degree to which you yourself are judged. Now, what does Jesus mean when he says, judge not? Do not judge. Does this mean that we should make no judgments or draw no conclusions about anyone or anything? Does this mean that we should have no judicial system? Like literally, 
Judges. Should we have no judges? Interestingly, I know two judges, and the, these two people that I know that are judges are both the most non-judgmental people I know, and, and that's fascinating to me. So it's possible. Is that what it means? Does it mean that we should not try to discern between what is good and bad? Does it mean that we can have no opinion about people's actions or justice or that kind of thing, right and wrong, good and evil? And the simple answer is no, this isn't what Jesus meant. Jesus is not saying there is no judging at all. There is no decision made between good, bad, wise, unwise. What Jesus is saying ultimately, in my opinion, is there is a great difference between judging what is right and wrong and being judgmental. Judgmental. Well, how do you know that's true? Because Jesus says, on the one hand, judge not, but on the other hand, in this very passage, he's saying, look at the hypocrites. Do not be like them. Throughout his sermon, he keeps calling us, be careful of the hypocrites. Look at their behavior. In fact, he's saying, judge their behavior as wrong and turn from it. Instead, live this way. And meanwhile, though, in the judgments and decisions we make, Jesus is warning us to be very, very careful to not become judgmental people, hypercritical people. The judgmental person is excessively critical towards others and nearly always does so on the basis of thinking themselves as better than other people, which is self-righteousness, and lives a hypocritical life by definition. I'm going to reread that. Please hear this. The judgmental person is excessively critical towards other people and nearly always does so on the basis of thinking themselves as better people. Self-righteousness, that's what it is. I am better than you. I have self-righteousness. There are good people in the world and there are bad people in the world and I am among the righteous people. I have self-righteousness. I am excessively critical of you and I have self-righteousness and then all that's doing is setting myself up for hypocrisy by definition because none of us are self-righteous. But what's awesome is this, in the gospel, we have the cure for this. <laughs> the cure to self-righteousness and a judgmental spirit is the gospel because the Christian is never meant to live out of self-righteousness, but Christ's righteousness always, always. More on that in a minute. The apostle Paul repeated what Jesus taught in Romans 2 verses 1 through 3 and listen to what he says. You have no excuse, O man, humanity, Every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. Because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We who know the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O oh man, you who judge those who practice such things, and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? The judgmental person, Paul says and Jesus says, will be judged, of course in this life, but in a more sobering sense, even more so in the life to come, unless they repent, and they will be judged by who? According to this passage. By God himself. 
And the judgment, according to Paul and according to Jesus, will fall on them based on how they judged other people. Francis Schaeffer used to call this passage the invisible tape recorder. Francis Schaeffer is a great apologist, a great theologian, and a great pastor and author, known for a lot of really great things. And he said, this passage is like the invisible tape recorder. And he said this, imagine that at birth you were born with this tape recorder around your neck that's invisible to you and to the rest of the world, but it only turns on and begins to record every time you make a judgmental statement about somebody else. Every time you comment about somebody else in a hypercritical way, in a judgmental way, it begins to record your voice. And then he says, at the last day, God the judge will take the tape recorder off your neck and say, I will be completely fair. I will simply judge you on the basis of what your own words on this tape recorder says are the standards for human behavior. Everything you said, they ought to do this. Why don't they do that? I can't believe they're doing that. Just on that basis alone will you be judged. And Francis Schaeffer said, and not a person in history will be able to stand in judgment against his or her own or her own words, if that were true. We make judgments, we decide, we evaluate, we discern what is good and what is bad, but Jesus warns us to not set up ourselves as the judge of all people and out of our self-righteousness condemn people, placing ourselves in the seat of judgment in a hypercritical way because at the end, we all do the same things. Everything we're judging and other people, ultimately, Paul says, you do the very same things. Secondly, the judgmental person is delusional and hypocritical. The judgmental person is delusional and hypocritical. In Matthew 7, 3 through 5, Jesus tells this hilarious story. It's so funny that it could be a Saturday Night Live skit, if you think about it. There is this guy, he could be called Plank Guy or 2x4 Guy on Saturday Night Live because he literally has this 2x4 log or piece of lumber coming out of his eyeball, this huge thing, and yet he's trying to go up to somebody and say to them, I, I don't want to bother you or embarrass you, but you've got something in your eye, something you need to take care of. And he can't even get close enough to help to remove the piece of, you know, speck out of the person's eye because this, this log or this piece of lumber protruding out of his head, he can't get close enough, he can't do, it's ridiculous what this guy is trying to do. It's kind of like somebody wearing a really nice white Oxford shirt who spills an enormous bowl of chili all over them, right? Does nothing to clean it up and yet goes up to someone and goes, man, I don't want to bug you or anything, but you got a little something on your face. He's got beans rolling off. He's got like tomato sauce, everything that's in chili, all the spices. It's seeking, seeping through. You can see, you know, you can see through the shirt because of all the nastiness. And he goes up and says, let me help you out, man. You've got something on your face. Jesus is meaning to show us how delusional, how ridiculous this is. And it's meant to be funny because hypocrisy and a judgmental spirit, it blinds us to our problems. Like this person is so blind. And this is the problem with being judgmental, self-righteous, and hypocritical. You're blind to it. So blind, it's like you have these same problems in your life, these enormous problems. And if you had a plank or a two-by-four coming out of your head, everyone around you would know it and see it, right? 
you can hide a speck, not a problem. But if you have this enormous problem in your life and everyone around you knows it except you, you're delusional, you're blind, and so you go around judging other people and everyone else in your life is going, you're worse, man. You keep judging everybody else for what they're doing and you're much, much worse. It's tragic, the blindness that we have in our hypocrisy and our judgmental spirit and our self-righteousness. And implicit through this, though, is a great plan for how we can grow in our relationships. Because the reality is, no matter who we are as human beings, there, there is conflict, and there's a need for resolve. There's a need for forgiveness and communicating with one another. And the problem is, what do you do in light of that? How do you approach someone when, when you have a problem with them? How do I go to you about the speck in your eye? Let's change it for a minute and just say the offense that I have against you, because that's really what Jesus is talking about. I have this offense, and I come to you and say, you know, you're this way, and I need you to change this, but meanwhile, I have the same problem, but it's much, much larger, right? So what Jesus is saying is a couple steps, and this is not the main point of this passage, but it's so helpful in marriage, in, in friendship, in, in brotherly love, in any human relationship, he would say this, step one, first, take a good look in the mirror to see if there's any lumber protruding out of your head before you start dealing with other people's problems. Honestly. Before you go and confront somebody else, what Jesus would say is, take a look in the mirror. Humble yourself and ask others to show you. Do you see people kind of reacting in a defensive way around you all the time? Like people are constantly abrasive, you know, like kind of stepping back from you and like you get into conflict at all and people are just like, ah, you know, and, and you can sense it emotionally. Like what's wrong in all my relationships? Maybe it's you. You keep pointing the finger at everybody else, but the reality is perhaps it's you and there's this two by four that's coming out of your head and whenever you're in a conversation, a dialogue or a conflict of sorts, there's this huge thing coming out of your head and so people are having to duck and like move because like every time you duck or move, there's this huge thing coming out of your head. But you're blind to it. Would you be wise enough or smart enough to say to people in your life like, what is my blind spot? What is the thing going on in my life? What is the hypocrisy in, me, in my life? And if you'll listen, if you'll listen and be wise enough, you might hear. Now, if they tell you, if they're bold enough to tell you, don't be defensive. And that's going to be nearly impossible for you because you're self-righteous. <laughs> You see, you're trying to get your sense of righteousness and good standing in life from yourself. And so if you think you love Jesus, and, and even if you do love Jesus, but you're always responding in self-defense, what's happening is you're not yet living out of the goodness of the gospel to you. You keep trying to defend yourself when you have the righteousness of Christ as your defense. You with me? We live our lives trying to say, but I'm good. I would never do that. I would never say that. I would never behave that way. Well, that's ludicrous. <laughs> of course you would say that, do that, behave that way. Romans 3.23 says, all of humanity has this enormous problem. You are broken, you are fallen, and you're sinful. You live as if the world revolves around you. You've put yourself on the very throne of God to use Tyson's illustration. 
And yet we want to walk around and act like, no, no, I'm really not that bad. I've really got my act together. I'm really fine. I've got it all together. Those of us that need to hear this the most have the most difficult time hearing it because we're so self-righteous and so defensive. But if you go to someone and say, look, help me understand. I want to know better. And they actually tell you, don't be defensive. Just listen. Be humbled by your sin. Pray for forgiveness, and then believe the gospel. You're forgiven. You actually are forgiven. Step two, after removing the lumber from your own eye, then and only then talk about the speck of dust in your friend's eye. You guys, when the gospel begins to dawn on your life and your heart, when you actually begin to see, like, I don't have to be self-righteous anymore, and I can be real and honest about the stuff in my life, it's so freeing so that if you go and confront someone about something in your life, you don't go as one who is self-righteous. You go as one who sees themselves as broken, fallen, needy, who's been cleansed of their sin, forgiven of their unrighteousness through Christ. So when they go, you say something like this, like, look, I'm about to point something out in your eye, but you got to understand the only reason I've even seen it is because I have had a two-by-four coming out of my head. And God pointed that out, removed it, and I'm in the process of getting that out of my eye. And it's only because of my own problem, which is probably much, much greater than yours, that I even notice this at all. And do you know how disarming that is when somebody comes to you in a conflict and their first thing is not you, 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 but instead like, look, I get it. I'm this way. I'm broken. I'm fallen. I'm et cetera, et cetera. But I want to talk to you about this, but please understand, I get my own brokenness, my own problems. Guide them to the grace and mercy of Christ when you talk to them. That's the whole point of a conflict anyway. And the answer for you and for them is not trying to be better, but leading them to the one who's best, to Christ. There is only one judge, friends, who at the end of the age is able to judge the fitness of the human heart. There's only one who's able to judge. There's only one who has enough omniscience, enough wisdom, enough understanding of every human heart. And that's not you. Did you know? You can't even judge yourself properly at the end of the age. Do you know that? You would probably be far too critical or far too lenient. You will not be a good judge of yourself. You're certainly not a good judge of others. There's only one who is able to judge anyone at the end of the age, and he is the holy God of the universe. Now, what has this judge done? And this is what's so amazing about the gospel. What has this judge done? He has looked at the human condition. He's pronounced that it's bad for all of us. And instead of dealing with us only on the basis of his justice, which he would have been right to do, instead instead of that, he placed it on his son. Jesus Christ came. He lived his life for us, a perfect life. And then, and then instead of having you and me be crushed by the weight of condemnation that we deserve, instead it fell on his son, Jesus. He got what we deserved instead of us. And if he's done this, if he's been so good to us in doing that, how much more can we be gracious? I have a vision for us, friends. 
And it's this. When we live out of Christ's righteousness, instead of self-righteousness, we show people the love and mercy of God. And this is, this is our vision as a church. Friend, you, this city needs you to be living not out of self-righteousness, but out of the righteousness of Christ. This city needs you to not be living out of self-righteousness, but out of the righteousness of Christ. There are far too many people living with the conviction based on a lot of reality that Christians are judgmental, self-righteous, and hypocrites. People in Tempe need you to live out of the righteousness of Christ that frees you to no longer be self-righteous and judgmental. People in Chandler, people in Ahwatukee, people in downtown Phoenix and Arcadia and, and Gilbert, all over the city, your neighbors, that person next door to you doesn't need a judge. <laughs> that person needs someone who loves Jesus so much and sees themselves as being so transformed by the grace of God that they are sent out to be merciful and meek and poor in spirit and peacemakers. That person, that person needs to taste the gospel and see the grace of God in you and you and you and you and me, all of us. I've got amazing news for you. It's the most freeing thing you may ever hear. You don't have to judge anyone. It's not your judge to ju it's not your job. It's not in your job description. You're called to discern what is right, what is wrong, what is good, what is evil. And you can even make decisions or judgments about what's wise and wrong and good, biblical, unbiblical, about people in their lives. You can. But I've got amazing news. You don't have to judge them about it. <laughs> And one of the most freeing things for me happened well after I became a pastor, you guys. After I became a pastor, well after. I started realizing more and more that my righteousness is not based on my righteousness, but on Christ's righteousness. And I started realizing that, hey, the very first step I had to take as a Christian was what? I mean the very first step I had to take in order to follow Jesus and become a Christian. It was to agree with God that I have sinned so grievously that I don't deserve righteousness, I don't deserve heaven, I don't deserve acceptance, that in fact, instead, that my sin, my brokenness, everything I've done, deserve, what I deserve is separation from God and even hell. That's what I've had to admit. It's that bad. And then I turn, I repent, and then I turn in faith to God for what he's done for me and his son through his life, through his death, through his resurrection, and none of it's about me. It's like I bring brokenness and sin to the table. God, through Christ, brings holiness, righteousness, salvation to the table. And so that's my first step. It's all grace. I've done nothing to earn it. It's not about my righteousness. It's about the righteousness of another, the man, Jesus Christ. Amen? That's my first step, but then my problem was after I made that first step, I lived in that for a while, but then slowly over time, I was sort of taught and discipled into being, no, I have to return to self-righteousness, to religion, to me feeling like I'm a little better than everybody else. But I thank God that even in my 30s, after I was ordained later in life, that the gospel began to dawn on me more and more, that the gospel's not just for those taking the initial step of becoming a Christian, hear me, 
The gospel is not just the milk, it's the meat, it's the whole thing, it's the alpha, it's the omega, it's the beginning of the end, it's every step of the Christian faith is walking in the righteousness of Christ, not my own righteousness. You with me? And so I don't have to judge anyone. That's so freeing. Becky and I moved here to plant a church. You may have heard of it. It's called New Valley Church. And we moved here, and nobody came to church here <laughs> except us. Me, my wife, my three kids. We had no name. We had no place to meet. We, we had a house, and we had a calling to come start a church. And that's all we had. And God put in us a desire to do that because the gospel had dawned on us so profoundly that we wanted other people to know it. And so we came in and just tried to love people, our neighbors, the people around us, people in our cul-de-sac, people at Starbucks, people at the YMCA, wherever we went, Wagner Elementary, everywhere we went, just saying, and thank God, at that point in my life, God had freed me up to realizing I am not in charge of judging anyone. <laughs> well, they're lies. They're not living according to God. No, they're not, because they don't know Jesus. How could they possibly? They're doing this. They're doing that. Someone needs to tell them. You see, I used to think my job in evangelism or sharing the gospel was the first thing I needed to tell people was this. You're wrong, and you need to stop what you're doing. Now, I found that to be very ineffective. <laughs> Instead, God began to show me the best way to connect with people is to say, like, not you're wrong. It's like, I'm wrong. I'm so wrong. <laughs> My life's ridiculously wrong, but, but for the grace of God, I had nothing. It's amazing how people are receptive to our humility and saying, I am a broken, fallen, sinful person that for the grace of God would have nothing, but because of Jesus, I have everything. And this, isn't, this is just about me. This isn't about you. I'm not judging you. You're someone that needs Jesus. You're someone that needs Jesus, and I'm someone that needs Jesus. And that's the thing that we all have in common. So I don't have self-righteousness anymore. I have Christ's righteousness. And I'll be bold enough to say that even though I'm still a hypocrite, I'm not the man I used to be. And because of the gospel, I'm not judgmental. And I'm not self-righteous. And I'm, not, I'm far less hypocritical than I used to be. And my wife will tell you, I'm still pretty dang hypocritical. But like, I am far less than I used to be because of the gospel. And this is what the world needs, friends. Not me, I'm not saying me, but what the gospel can do. And church, this is what we get to be. New Valley, this is what you get to be. To the people that live next door to you, and the people at school, the people at work, the people at church, we get to reflect the glory of God and the good news that we have the righteousness of Christ, not our own righteousness. And so we are freed from the job description of having to judge anybody else because we didn't get judged. Jesus got judged. And we got his forgiveness. Let's pray. Fathers, we come to the table. Humble us and show us that our righteousness does not come from ourselves. Our problem was so bad that it had to be all of you. And so we come with humility, we come to the table with thanksgiving, seeing that 
except for your, your work, we would be lost. And we come to this, this meal of thanksgiving with joy and, and just break us, Father. And may your church begin to reflect more and more of your goodness. May your church reflect more of your goodness, Father, of humility because of what you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends,